Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The summer is 1994. Where were you in 1994 and the summer? Well, the World Cup has just happened in the United States of America. The Barclays was preparing for its third season. Could Manchester United join the likes of Huddersfield Town, Liverpool and Arsenal to win three league titles in a row? We'll find out. This is the Barclays. Of course, we are here. This is the What If Football podcast, episode 69. The Barclays has returned in a new format. We'll be covering a full season of the Premier League, what we call the Barclays, in one episode here today. And if you enjoy podcasts like these, we are on Patreon five days a week. Weekly football columns dissecting modern football every Monday and Friday with a litany of podcasts sprinkled in and amongst that Combined 11 head-to-head, comparing and contrasting certain teams and certain players, managers, etc. We've got great games, where we, of course, discuss great games of football. We have got the Story of My Season podcast, which will be premiering soon on the Patreon page every Tuesday as well, interchanging between all four of those podcasts. And, of course, your what-ifs, that is our main thing here on the what if youtube sphere i guess um what if scenarios in youtube all of your suggestions will be in a mailbag every thursday and that's rotated in amongst with football manager stuff so if you enjoy all that 4.3 pence per piece of content i added it up one pound a month and it can all be yours (laughs) now let's get back to 1994 podcasts weren't a thing broadband internet was that going? I don't know. I was I was unaware in the summer of 1994. I was 
probably just about discovering how to walk or there or thereabouts anyway. Still in nappies, put it that way. Can't remember the 94-95 season. I'm being a Manchester United fan. Would that be good? Would that be bad? Let's find out. Huge changes from the 93-94 season. Tackles from behind have been outlawed. Red card, yellow card, you're gone. So we are now with the offside rule, with the back pass rule rather being changed in 92. Football is starting to become a lot more geared towards attacking fluid football. Of course, you can attribute that to what was a pretty dire in terms of football, attacking football and goals in the 1990 World Cup and the tackle being outlawed, the back tackle from behind being outlawed does change things ever so slightly more towards the favour of the attackers. And no wonder that we see record amount of goals at the World Cup in 98 moving forward and so on. Back chat is also being outlawed. You cannot talk back to a referee. Um, attempting to get respect towards the referees, which um, unfortunately still falls on deaf ears, doesn't it, with the respect campaign to the late 2000s and so on. It's still... There's still a very big disparity in terms of respect for referees compared to, for example, rugby league and rugby union, of course, where referees rule there, whereas opposed in football, still have a bad reputation, don't they? So before we get into August 1994, we should discuss some transfers and a huge element of what has made the Premier League the Premier League and in terms of what the winners of the Premier League, how they have done it so far as we move into this new format. So the huge transfer, or rather the biggest sum, has been Chris Sutton, £5 million from Norwich City to Blackburn Rovers, breaking Blackburn's own record in bringing Alan Shearer a couple of years prior, of course, forming the SAS. Sutton and Shearer not famously getting along so well off the pitch, but on the pitch, well, we'll see in the next 30 or so minutes, won't we? Struggling Ipswich Town lost their talisman Chris Kuwomia to Arsenal. Chris Kuwomia was absolutely superb in the first two seasons for Ipswich, arguably kept them afloat. How will they do without him? Well, we'll see there in Suffolk, won't we? Ipswich replaced him with Lee Chapman. Meanwhile, Norwich further uh, up or down the road. I can't, I don't know. I think it's up, up the road. I'm not too hot on my East of England geography. <laughs> it is a blind spot. So they've lost all of Chris Sutton, Mike Robbins and Effin Okoku. So Norwich are going to have it. Norwich started off the Premier League era in a bit of a shocking title race. They, they weren't, tip to do much of anything perennial mid-table team but now they've lost three of their key players how will they do will they struggle alongside Ipswich well we'll find out QPR meanwhile hadn't replaced Darren Peacock in defence he's up there in the northeast in Newcastle where in their second season back in the big time they're spending big as ever it's all change at Hillsborough Sheffield Wednesday Ian Nolan Peter Atherton Guy Whittingham were in Carlton Palmer was out he was joining Atherton out of Coventry Phil Babb, that is, rather. And uh, Leicester City are back in the big time. They've spent big, most notably on Mark Draper and the aforementioned Mark Robbins. John Scales and Fashionu left Wimbledon, but Effin Okoku joining, joining from Norwich has come in, so as Cunningham in there in defence too. Kevin Campbell and Brian Roy were brought for the newly promoted Nottingham Forest, showing bags, bags of potential and... 
could they match that well? We'll see, won't we? David Rocastle was on the move again, unfortunately, to Chelsea as he joins Paul Furlong and Scott Minto at the West London Club. Elsewhere in London, West Ham United have spent big too. Don Hutchison, Julian Dix, John Monker and Mark Reaper are also in, of course. The big headlines outside of Blackburn, perhaps, and most notably in London, has to be the movements in the transfer market of Tottenham Hotspur, easily the most continental out of the lot. Dumitrescu, Popescu, who had performed so well for Romania at the 1994 World Cup, reaching the, of course, the quarterfinals there, where they were unfortunately eliminated by Sweden on penalties, were joined by another star of the World Cup in 1994, Jurgen Klinsmann. And this Spurs probably not at fault, I mean, a catalyst really for the amount of European transfers. Of course, you've got the John, the John Matt Bosman thing a couple of years on. You've got the dropping of the foreigner rule as well from UEFA, which probably on the face of it seemed like a bigger window for teams to jump through in signing foreign stars. But this three-pronged approach by Spurs in the summer of 94 did have a lot to uh, to do with a lot more talent coming through before the aforementioned rulings took place um it using their three foreign foreign slots for foreign players which is well those were the rules at the time unfortunately um hampered many a team in england um in europe of course and dimitrescu popescu and well klinsman was probably the biggest signing not in terms of money didn't cost too much didn't cost the earth, didn't, wasn't a record signing by any means, but the level of hostility, the level of press coverage that he received would bleed into the opening day, of course, which we'll be discussing later on. But one of the most high profile and probably one of the best transfers to ever happen to the Premier League in terms of changing the perception about English football as well. Klinsman was a bit of a journeyman, to be fair. He'd been to Monaco. He'd been to spent quite a lot of time in, in, in Italy with Inter Milan as well, so... Quite the journeyman and would bring quite a lot of experience to Spurs who were set up to play quite the attacking football under Ozzie Ardiles, but of course we'll get onto that later on. The champions were Manchester United who hadn't spent all that much money really. A lot of teams around this time were attempting to find their own Cantona. Manchester United had dominated the Premier League thus far. They'd won the league title in 93, they'd won it in 94 after so long without winning it the last time they'd won it 1967 of course they were playing a 4-4-1-1 in a 4-4-2 world in English football whilst the rest of the rest of European football were really they were coming off a wave of back three domination and slowly moving back into a back four and English football had seemingly missed the entire boat on that one during the during the 70s and 80s, although we did have a few teams playing the back three here, but more on that on another episode of the Barclays. So there they were other clubs in the transfer market feasibly saying that they played with a number 10 and following in the suit of Manchester United playing that 4-4-1-1. Nottingham Forest, you could say, playing Brian Roy. He wasn't an out-and-out forward and he partnered Stan Collymore up front. So he was more in between the lines than most. You've got Newcastle playing Peter Beardsley off Andy Cole. That started very, it had very good consequences the previous season, but of course, as we know, this season would be scuppered somewhat by a January transfer, but of course, more on that later on. 
For Tottenham, you couldn't really say that Teddy Sheringham was playing as a number 10. He was withdrawn, um, but Ozzy Adiles was just a bit too much attacking in that um, almost a 3-3-4 that he was, he was crazy what he was doing. More on that in a minute. Um, Southampton, they did overachieve massively thanks to Matt Letizia, who's definitely a number 10. He wasn't a striker. He wasn't a midfielder by any means. Didn't have the engine to be a midfielder, did he really? He was a number 10. He His exploits in the previous season, in this season to come, and in many more, um, which dragged Southampton to seasons at times. He was definitely number 10. He overachieved just like Forrest would overachieve. And those three teams, for me, really, the first half of the season for Newcastle, um, I, I do agree with as well, played a 10 with Beardsley. They all did very, very well. And Manchester United, of course, still did very well, despite what we would come to see in 94, 95. Meanwhile, you've also got Everton's Duncan Ferguson. You've got Man City's Niall Quinn and Crystal Palace's Ian Dowie. They were they were not out and out centre forwards. They weren't number 10s either. They were more target men. So you can't really class them in, in this 4-4-1-1 scenario, which was rather dominating English football towards the start of the Premier League era. And the teams that lurched away from the 4-4-2 were rewarded quite handsomely. Forrest finishing third. Saints finishing top half, which was absolutely huge for them. And Man United still, they didn't win the league, of course, as we know now. Let's not beat around the bush. They didn't win the league, but still two of the three teams playing a 4-4-1-1 for the majority of the season overachieved, or certainly in Manchester United's case, stayed in a title race. So there were elements of that 4-4-1-1 up against a 4-4-2 where you sort of knock three rigid lines of football that was ostensibly played in for quite a lot of the time and would be for quite some time to come. It's not been eradicated yet. But it just goes to show that that little tweak, and we would see flashier number 10s come into the Premier League, but that is, of course, for another episode of the Barclays, somewhere down the line. So now we've got that out of the way, let's move on to the season after this short, short break. Welcome back. August 1994, Manchester United win the Community Shield against Blackburn. Does it matter in the grand scheme of things? Well, 1995 would say not, as Manchester United finished second, Blackburn finished first, but there we are. Let's go back right to the start. Leicester 1, Newcastle 3. Peter Beardsley and Andy Cole carrying on from the 93-94 season, back in the goals. Absolutely superb partnership that probably doesn't get the light of day as it does now, um... Not a strike partnership, it was a 10 and a 9 together. Not the Sutton and Shearer traditional partnership, not the Cole and York traditional partnership later on down the line, but um, a superb partnership nonetheless. Beardsley breaks a cheekbone in this. Um, although Newcastle won fairly comfortably, Pavel Cernicek is sent off. Kevin Keegan proclaims that Leicester City will be very good going forward. Well, we'll check back in at the end of this episode for that one. <laughs> Nottingham Forest take a point off Manchester United with Andrea Kanchelska scoring a wonderful volley, but Stan Collymore levels late on. Manchester United get their first win on the board the next game as they beat Tottenham Hotspur at White Hart Lane, thanks in large really to a Teddy Sheringham missed penalty, foreshadowing good fortune for Manchester United in a Teddy Sheringham shirt, more on that later. Chris Sutton and Alan Shearer click into gear immediately against Leicester and... Well, they thrash Coventry 4-0. Chris Sutton bagging a hat-trick. Doesn't celebrate with Alan Shearer. Potential rifts there because Alan Shearer wanted to be the man. 
and um, had a bit of a better relationship with Mike Newell, who, as a result of Chris Sutton's signing, had dropped to the bench. You can't be benching a five million pound player in in 1994, can you? Um, the Newell Shearer dynamic uh, with Newell as a target man um, did allow Shearer to score more goals, but Sutton was a scorer too. And let's be real. I don't think Shearer minded in the end, did he? Um, Roy Evans took charge of his first game of his first full season um, in away at Sellers Park in a 6-1 thrashing of Crystal Palace. Stephen Manaman scoring a beauty there and Liverpool's form continued with a 3-0 win. Over Arsenal, the half-finished new all-seated cop is in. That is probably takes a back seat, no pun intended there, for Robbie Fowler's record hat-trick, of course. But there we are. So heading into September, we've got Newcastle at the top of the table with 12 points. We've got Manchester United, Nottingham Forest on 10. Liverpool got a game in hand on three points, uh, three games, um, as have Chelsea. Both of those teams have maximum nine. Tottenham have nine from four games too. And speaking of Tottenham, well, it was Jurgen Klinsmann's debut. He wins player of the month. He scores one of the decisive goals in a 4-3 win over Sheffield Wednesday. And plug, 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 we did a Patreon Great Games podcast on that game. So for all the skinny on that, check that out there. But um, Sheffield Wednesday are not around the drop zone, but they do lose again to QPR 3-2. So their defence is looking a bit leaky, but then they, they, they stem the tide a little bit. They draw 0-0 at home to Norwich. They, they win 1-0 at Wimbledon as well. Meanwhile, you've got Matt Letizier. Continuing with his bluters, scoring a sumptuous goal, but ultimately in a losing effort to Aston Villa. And they are just above the dotted line with Everton, Leicester, West Ham and Coventry, all on one point as we head in to the leafy month of September. September starts with Eric Cantona signing an, an eternal deal to say that he will end his playing career at Manchester United. I'm sure that the hierarchy at Old Trafford probably hoped that would be into the 21st century, but regardless. More on that on a future Barkers episode, I'm sure. And the first game after this, well, none other than a trip to Elland Road, where he came from. And this was Leeds' first man win over Manchester United at home since 1973. 21 long years for the Lily Whites. I'm sure nobody calls them that anymore, do they? Really, anyway. <laughs> So the first little cracks of Man United's um, early season form starting and continuing at Portman Road as they lose 3-2 to Ipswich. Ipswich, probably one of the more shocking results of the campaign considering where everybody finishes in, in and amongst. Um, Chris Sutton scores the winning goal against his future club Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Never had too much luck at Stamford Bridge, did Chris Sutton, but as the travelling striker here scores in the winning goal here for Blackburn, um, Newcastle rack up wins in, in superb early form. Beardsley and Cole absolutely clicking. Paul Kitson has been signed as well up front and this is the early stage of the game. Well, sort of the middle of Kevin Keegan's really will score three, you'll score two. Um, they rack up wins over Arsenal and Chelsea, but the draw to Liverpool. Rob Lee off the back of his first England call-up scores, but a goalkeeper error allows for Ian Rush to equalise. Ian Rush would play his last season for Liverpool this time around before joining, I think, Leeds. But there we go. This is, of course, the first drop points for Newcastle this season. They are top of the table after seven points. Two ahead of Blackburn and Nottingham Forest. Meanwhile, the gap is already six points back. Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea still with that game in hand could push them down to sixth just yet. Chelsea on 12, Liverpool on 11, Man United on 13, of course. At the wrong end of the table, we've got Sheffield Wednesday getting sucked into the drop zone. Well, close to it anyway. Leicester is slightly above on five, Sheffield Wednesday on six. 
Meanwhile, you've got West Ham on five, Coventry on five, two, who've just come off the back of a wonderful signing, Dion Dublin for Coventry. And he scores a header on his debut at Loftus Road against QPR, who are somewhere short of the um, of danger, really, early on. Crystal Palace, though, on four, and Everton on three, definitely not. Tottenham's tactics, though, despite not being in this mix, may be about to be found out. They lose 2-1 at home to Southampton. Matt Letizia bagging two goals, of course. And the club is really encapsulated here in the Alan Sugar and Terry Venables row, which financially would um, come close to wrecking Tottenham would, obviously. Same for Terry Venables, you have to give up the England job for it in '96. Trevor Francis was out um, mole hunting as well in September 94 after anonymous player criticism after his poor start of the season at Hillsborough, but uh, we'll more on that in a minute. And um, in the East Anglian derby, uh, God knows what they call this derby, I usually call it the old farm, I don't know if people do that, um, I just saw someone else saying thought it was funny, regardless, Norwich win that, despite their lack of goal scoring becoming a problem, and Cal Bradshaw scores the winner there at the at Portman Road for the Canaries as we move into October, where Manchester United are falling foul of another shock defeat, this time at home, or this time away rather, at Hillsborough. Trevor Francis, mole hunting definitely <laughs> works there. David Hurst, probably not the mole. Um, he scores the winner on the counter, and Manchester United's poor form continues. Mole's funny word. Meanwhile, the game of the month really was Newcastle versus Blackburn, top of the table clash, settled by. A rather harsh Tim Flowers late on goal, but there we are. Blackburn would bounce back in probably the game of the season, eking out the odd goal in five from Liverpool, but would ship more goals, four of the best at um, at home to Manchester United. Crucial period, really, for Blackburn. They would open up with a stunning 30-yarder from Paul Warhurst there. A dodgy penalty and Manchester United. Well, who would have paired those two elements up together? Um, would draw Manchester United level would simultaneously put Blackburn down to 10 men of course Cantona scoring it um, maybe someone should uh, develop a, a video assistance for the referee um, maybe not um, Schmeichel another error leads to uh, Colin Hedry goal but Kanchelskis would um, be the difference here scores an immediate equaliser scores a fourth goal on the counter with of course Mark Hughes lobbing to put Manchester United ahead the game of course ruined by the red card but Fear not, Rovers, they would bounce back with a win over high-flying Nottingham Forest at the county ground. At the city ground, rather. Wow, not them. <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. Chris Sutton, of course, scoring a double in that one. Meanwhile, Manchester United carrying on from... They've had a few blips in the road, but they uh, seem to be back to normal. Gary Pallister scoring a header at home to Newcastle, which does cut their their gap. They're still in fourth. It cuts their gap, though, to four points from Newcastle after 12 games. Man United are on 25. Nottingham Forest on 27. Blackburn have a game in hand. 27 points, two. And Newcastle are on 29. Kevin Gillespie. Keith Gillespie, rather, scoring the goal for Manchester United in that. Where will he end up at the end of this season? Who knows? Meanwhile, Forest are looking absolutely immaculate. Aside from that Blackburn defeat, they would beat QPR, Wimbledon and Aston Villa to be one of the front runners, really. Wimbledon have had a bit of a disaster, really. Their only points were a 1-0 win versus Norwich. A bit of an up and down Norwich, starting to feel the effects of uh, losing all them players. And uh, key defeats at Ewood Park and Loftus Road have shackled Liverpool, really, to uh, 
to fifth place. They've lost their game in hand now, but they're still only two points behind United. Meanwhile, defeats at Norwich and Ipswich have kept Leeds grounded to sixth. They've got... They've played a game more, but are still only eight points behind Newcastle in the title race. I mean, let's be honest, they didn't have a great start to the Barclays. We covered at quite detail, <laughs> so apologies uh, Leeds fans for their lack of an away win until midway through the second season after, of course, attempting to retain their trophy from the first division to the Premier League. Julian Dix was signed, as we mentioned earlier, by West Ham from Liverpool and Duncan Ferguson in October was signed by Everton, maybe the catalyst, but Coventry beat Everton at home. Mike Walker getting all frosty in his post-match, perhaps the end is near for the Toffees manager there. Meanwhile, they're getting a bit frosty at Loftus Road as well as Rodney Marsh was allowed back into the club, Jerry Francis. The manager wasn't allowed to... Um, wasn't allowed in on that little secret and his final home game was the 2-1 win over Liverpool. Meanwhile, at Villa, you've got them not being able to buy a win, barely being able to buy a goal. They end the month with two 2-0 two defeats. They have not won in seven. They've only got one point in this time, a 1-1 a draw at home to Norwich, who are, as I said, mid-table AF, as they say. Everton, though, as we head into November, fireworks, um, they're propping up the table with seven points. Leicester have nine, Ipswich have ten alongside Villa. They're all in the relegation zone, remember? The Premier League is changing after this year. We've got 22 teams in the mix here, but they are changing to 20 teams. So therefore, one promotion or two promotions from the second tier and four relegated from the Premier League. So therefore, Wimbledon on 12 points, still not out of it. 12 points there. Sheffield Wednesday, 13, still obviously looking over their shoulder. We're not even at Christmas yet, of course. Fireworks, though, were at Old Trafford into November. Manchester United absolutely battering Manchester City in a 5-0 win. The Best derby win in the Premier League yet. Meanwhile, Wimbledon, a bit of a sticky team to come across, especially at Sellers Park amongst this time. They stunned Kevin Keegan's side and they're now off top spot 15 games in. But Blackburn would regain that top spot. Shearer with a thunderbolt against QPR in a 4-0 win, fighting intensely now with both Manchester United and Newcastle. So as we head into December, we've got United on 35 points. The other United, Newcastle on 34 and Blackburn on top with 36. And the also runs, or the, if they have a good Christmas, they could be in a title race runs. Liverpool on 30 points in fourth, Forest in fifth place. Surprisingly enough for the promoted team on 28 points. Meanwhile, Leeds have 27 points. That's 16 of 42 games played. Meanwhile, at the other end of the table, Bruce Grobelaar, Southampton goalkeeper now, of course, accused of match fixing and in his first home match back has an absolute blinder has an absolute blinder and November seems to be the sacking season really Ozzy Adela sacked by Spurs with his quirky 4-2-4-3-3-4 formation um, Steve Perriman takes over as caretaker meanwhile as I said at Goodison Park the end was near for Mike Walker he is sacked a week later with Joe Royal taking charge Walker had worked he'd absolutely worked wonders with Norwich, um, particularly after that first Premier League season when they finished third and mounted a title challenge, which was against all odds, took them into Europe. They played Dennis Bergkamp in Inter Milan, for Christ's sake. But after being poached by Everton, never really worked at Goodison Park like it had at Carrow Road. Lasted just nine months. Um, Everton, off the back of this, Duncan disorderly with a first goal, Paul Rydout with a second. Fantastic start for Joe Royal. 
2-0 win over Liverpool makes it even the more sweeter, doesn't it? Off the foot of the table as well. So all those combined for a pretty good feeling around Goodison Park as we go into December, unfortunately, for, for Mike. Ron Atkinson, he's sacked by Aston Villa after a pretty turgid start themselves. They lost 4-3 to Wimbledon and he was sacked on the 10th of November with Jim Barron caretaking until they could find a suitable replacement. Meanwhile, Jerry Francis took up Ozzy Ardiles' role at Spurs, leaving QPR on the 15th. And Ray Wilkins, former player, of course, taking charge of QPR. In the meantime, a great start for Ray Wilkins. Um, winning 3-2 at home to Leeds. Meanwhile, not such a great start for Jerry Francis. The the residue of the Ardiles attacking sort of football still there in a 4-3 defeat at home to Aston Villa. So, Brian Little would take charge of Aston Villa, resigning from Leicester, who um, he'd taken up for the Aston Villa job on the 22nd of November, with Kevin McDonald coming in as caretaker there. And all these teams really are sort of lingering around the relegation spots. QPR, two points above the dotted line in 19th, 22nd, 21st, 20th, 18th, sorry. <laughs> My mathematics is shocking. 16, 16 points, Aston Villa, Everton on 14, Leicester on 12, Ipswich on 11, all in the drop zone. Some huge teams in and amongst that. West Ham in their second season, back in the big time on 17 points in 17th place. Got that one right this time. Ipswich Town rooted to the foot of the table, having gained just one point all month. Um, Everton slightly perked up with the changing manager, of course, slightly perked up with new player Duncan Ferguson could be a bit of a catalyst going into the festive period. Speaking of the festive period, December 94, Manchester United get an invaluable away win at Loftus Road. Extraordinary goal, meanwhile, though, from Les Ferdinand. Um, but Paul Scholes, Roy Keane, they would reply 3-2 to United. But a loss isn't too far away from around the corner for United in the first half of this season. Stan Collymore, the bogeyman this time for United. At home to Nottingham Forest, Collymore, of course, scored in a reverse win for the Midlands club. Meanwhile, Blackburn Rovers just keep going. They keep going. They win 3-1 at Main Road. City, of course, not doing United a favour there, of course. Shearer heads it in and deflects a second goal. A clip three kick for Graham Lasseau. 3-1, they go top. And Lasseau, in his post-match interview, says there's a possible 12 points from four games, I think. So, um, well done. So with 22 games gone, uh, just over halfway, um, Blackburn are three points ahead with a game in hand, 49 points to Manchester United, 46. Meanwhile, Liverpool have crept into third on 42 points. Newcastle, though, have a game in hand on them and are three points back, as are Nottingham Forest. And Tottenham Hotspur, despite the managerial change, despite Aussie Ardiles and this might have been sacked, they're sixth on 33 points. Meanwhile, Leeds have completely dropped off by this point. And as we uh, close out the year that was 1994, John Lyle has resigned from Ipswich. Paul Goddard is in caretaker role there. Meanwhile, you've got the famous Matt Letizia lob over Tim Flowers. The free kick against Aston Villa. I mean, Letizia is just in his peak at this point, isn't he? It's a shame about the other stuff later on. <laughs> but there we are, 1994 Letizia, peak Letizia there. Arsenal win 2-1 at Manchester City with rumblings for the Arsenal manager about allegations about taking a bung. More on that in 1995. Mark McGee takes the Leicester job. George Burley takes the Ipswich job as we as they fill the permanent roles left behind in November. They take them up in December. Meanwhile, Arsenal's month just goes to, to from bad to worse, really, for George Graham. John Jensen 
at the center of the George Graham storm with his bung. Scores on New Year's Eve, but it is in a 3-1 home defeat to QPR. Arsenal just aren't getting sucked into a relegation battle just yet, but more. Keep your ears peeled on that one for later in 1995. As Everton, Aston Villa, Leicester and Ipswich still retain their places in the relegation zone, but crucially, Leicester on 15 points and Ipswich on 13 points are now banished. They're now banished as Palace on 23 points are the first team to be, well, safe, so to speak, out of this bottom six. With Coventry ahead of them, 25 points, Everton 22, Aston Villa 21. Still in the thick of it, really, but Leicester and Ipswich, they've collectively won zero from 12 games over December and now look doomed. Palace, meanwhile, though, they, they seem to be on a downward trajectory. Haven't won since four wins on the spin in late October, early November. After this short break, we'll go to 1995, a banner year for football, a banner year for football in Lancashire. Welcome back. The year was 1995. Tony Yaboa was going to Yorkshire to sign for Leeds. Andy Cole was signing for Manchester United. Crucially, Keith Gillespie going the other way. Will that have any bearing on the title race? Well, Newcastle and Manchester United met at St. James's Park with the signings already done, but neither Cole or Gillespie played. Perhaps a truce. <laughs> a much rare truce between Keegan and Ferguson there before we get stuck into the season afterwards. So it's a 1-1 draw. Mark Hughes scores the first. Paul Kitson gets the rebound to make it one point apiece. But crucially for Manchester United, the huge game, Andy Cole makes his debut home game against Blackburn Rovers. Manchester United had the better of the first half, Blackburn the better of the second half, but the winning goal as ever around this time really. Eric Cantona scores the only goal of the game, back post header. With Tim Sherwood's late header, bizarrely ruled out. So that's two games now that Blackburn have got done by refs against Man United. Who would have thought Man United go top meanwhile? But by the end of the month, Manchester United after 26 games, are five points behind. Of course, we've got the Kung Fu kick in there against Crystal Palace. And this is where Manchester United's season kind of devolves, really. They're now playing a more harsh 4-5-1. And in times where Hughes can partner call up front, they're just not clicking. And we will get further into that as we move on. Newcastle are also runs 48 points. Liverpool, 46, although have a game in hand over the Toon Army. Meanwhile, Forrest, they will not drop away. They're on 45 points in fifth, potentially dreaming of European football once more, the old Brian Clough's days. And Tottenham still in sixth on 39 points. Just the two wins since Bonfire Night for Newcastle. Uh, wins over Leicester and Wimbledon. Strugglers, really, and four, count them, four nil-nils. This is Kevin Keegan's entertainers. That really kills Newcastle at the turn of this year. They are 11 points behind now. With 16 games to go, as we go into February, it's not really looking um, too great for them. Meanwhile, Tottenham have climbed back up. They've not lost since a 4-3 defeat, you may remember, um, just after Ozzy Adil has left on the 19th of November. So it's going quite well. Um, but they would lose their next game on the 25th of January, also against Villa. Maybe a, um, maybe a bit of a bogey team there. But the run, crucially for Spurs fans, I'm sure they'll agree, included a North London derby win over Arsenal on the 2nd of January. Meanwhile, in and amongst there, you've got draws against Chelsea and Liverpool. You've got Sheringham Hattrick against Newcastle as well. So they've played big teams in this run. So perhaps Tottenham could be mounting a push for Europe as we uh, as we move on. But looking back to the other 
the other side of things, Paul Merson, he would go public with his addiction issues. He would come in back into training the following month as we went into February, but Arsenal outside of that are in a mess on and off the field as we know. John Hartson was signed to revive it a little bit, but George Graham seems to be on the precipice of the sack or resignation or suspension or all three, who knows? But Arsenal are not having a great time of it, of course. They haven't really pushed for a title race since the Premier League was formed, but in terms of distractions, they've had the Cup Winners' Cup in 94, they've had the FA Cup and the League Cup in 93. They would make the Cup Winners' Cup again in 95, of course. Naeem, future Spurs player there, would um, kill that dream off. By that point, George Graham would be gone. Arsenal wouldn't have anything to show for what would be a mediocre season, really, for the Gunners. Meanwhile, you have Blackburn defeating West Ham United. West Ham have been putting in some good performances, but bad results. Shearer scoring, of course, but by February, West Ham are in the drop zone now as we speak of it. Ipswich get a stunning result at Liverpool, but they're still looking doomed somewhat. They're seven points off Everton in the uh, safety spot there in um, 19th place, 18th place. So, hey... 18th place. Meanwhile, Sheffield Wednesday got a lovely 2-0 win at West Ham. Hammers going down to nine men there. <laughs> Unbelievable look. Unbelievable look um, going forward. Um, Leicester, though, they are propping up the table. Not Ipswich, although they do have a game in hand on them. They've got 18 points. Meanwhile, you've also got Coventry. They're now in the drops. And Ron Atkinson not doing um, too great of a job at the minute but uh, we will see meanwhile Aston Villa who were perennial strugglers in the first half of the season Brian Little manager of the month beat Aston Villa beat Tottenham Hotspur 1-0 Klinsman taking off Batist on style 1982 by Mike Bosnich there um, Aston Villa's great form as a result they're now up to 12th it was a bit of a mini revival for Ipswich with us wins over Leicester and Liverpool but Seven points with 16 games to go. It will need something and it will need to be something fast as we enter February. And the big game in the month was Blackburn Rovers, Leeds United. Tim Flowers sent off, but Alan Shearer scores the penalty the other way and cancelled out by a Leeds United penalty as well. Gary McAllister with that one. Colin Hendry saves two points or saves a point rather. Goal line clearance from Leeds United and it finished 1-1. Manchester United closed the gap with a win at home to Aston Villa just as Blackburn replied in kind with a 3-1 defeat at White Hart Lane. Sky were hyping Sheringham and Klinsman versus Sutton and Shearer. 61 goals between them like some sort of tag team match at a WrestleMania or something. Klinsman did open the scoring admittedly but the goals, the vital goals were Darren Anderson's second Nick Bambi's third. So Blackburn taking four points from four games here. Despite Eric Cantona's suspension, Manchester United have closed the gap. There's 12 games to go. There's three points in it. In spite of Man United's loss at Goodison Park, in spite of Blackburn eliminating Newcastle from the title race here. So we have Newcastle on 57 points. Still nine points behind Blackburn. You've got Liverpool Two games in hand on Newcastle, so could close that gap to 57 apiece. Meanwhile, Nottingham Forest, a bit stagnant. They didn't win a single game in February, but admittedly they did play Newcastle and Liverpool. And Arsenal, despite their 
troubles. It's always a hard place to go to. Meanwhile, Leeds have returned to the top six, pushing Tottenham out of that one. They're on 43 points. At the other end of the table, we have got West Ham beating Leicester 2-1. The Hammers hanging on by an absolute thread. They are, as we move into March, 20th place and looking at a deficit here. Meanwhile, Arsenal lose again, losing at Hillsborough 3-1. John Hartson and Tony Adams both sent off both shocking tackles. Um, one of them was an elbow um, off Tony Adams and Arsenal are in dire straits with George Graham sacking round the corner, which would come on the 21st of February with Stuart Houston, his immediate replacement until the end of the season. Crystal Palace tried to keep their hopes alive with a 2-0 win over Ipswich. Meanwhile, West Ham and Everton did likewise. Drawing 2-2 against one another, it is very, extremely tight at the bottom. One of, well, four of 12 teams look to be going down even as late as March here. Aston Villa, they were becoming quite difficult to beat. However, they lost two games since since mid-November. Plenty of draws, but um, the form of January and February turned them into wins and even scored seven goals past Wimbledon. Could you believe that? Anyway, Ron Atkinson turned it around, taking over Phil Neal on Valentine's Day. Ron Atkinson comes in a day later. They win against Leicester, they win against West Ham, and suddenly they're out of the bottom six. Big Ron is doing a great start. Share about the later stuff, as always. <laughs> it goes. Stuart Houston, though, he makes a good start to it as well. He wins 3 0 at Sellers Park. Arsenal. Nowhere near the bottom six, but points-wise, definitely near the bottom six. And the bottom six, as we speak, I won't list all the amounts of games they've played because every team is different here. But QPR, 32. Southampton, 31. Above the dotted line and then below it, we've got Palace on 30. West Ham on 29. Ipswich, 23. Look, doomed Leicester. Equally doomed on 20 points there. Um, Ipswich's defeat to Palace, given that they've played 30 games, pretty much kills them off. It could have been so much different for the tractor boys meanwhile Chelsea they're not in the bottom six but they've had a disastrous run they've only won twice in the past three months and that's against strugglers Southampton and West Ham similarly Man City have only beaten Ipswich between December and March and those were home and away so six points on the board for the city's ends there Likewise, not in the bottom six, but still in a bit of a title race here. And as we go into March, we've got the record-breaking win. Still holds up today. 9-0 versus Ipswich. Andy Cole finally clicks into gear at Old Trafford. Five goals. Perhaps it's the outlier going into the second half of the season. But Andy Cole was in, in the goals here. Meanwhile, though, Blackburn retaliate with an edgier 1-0 win at Villa Park. United's goal difference had been lacking throughout the season. A lot of losses in the first half of the season, you may remember. But nine, eight goals made on Blackburn Rovers. Still the three points, the deficit, having played a game more. Blackburn on 76, United on 73. After a bit of a collector's item at Old Trafford, they drew 0-0 with Spurs and failed to score at Anfield in a 2-0 defeat, which... Given the start of the month, March could have ended very, very well for United instead. One point from two games. They're now staring at Blackburn romping away with a league title with eight games to go. Meanwhile, Newcastle are in third. Liverpool have dropped back to 50 despite that win over Manchester United. They're on 58 points. Forest on 60. Newcastle on 63. And Leeds in the top six, but cast adrift somewhat. They're on 52 points. They're a near-perfect month for Nottingham Forest. They beat Everton 2-1. They beat Leicester 4-2. And they beat both Southampton and Leeds 3-0. Frank Clark's team, 
potentially looking at third place here. We'll see as we move on. At the other end of the table, Ron Atkinson returned to Villa Park and he returned for a stalemate, a nil-nil draw. Backed that up with a 1-1 draw against Blackburn. Incredibly good result for Coventry at the time. And they are out of the bottom six as we enter April. West Ham couldn't get a win against Norwich 2-2. Um, bit of a shocking <laughs> thing with the officials here. Um, standing ref, the linesman, comes in and sends off a wrong Norwich defender. Um, game changes, West Ham get a point. Would that have any bearing on the relegation race? Because I'm saying it, you probably know it did. But we move on. QPR... Can't buy a win, they lose 3-2 at home to Everton. Stunning three-kick winner there for Everton in the end of that. Meanwhile, West West Ham, Manchester City beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-2 in another tight relegation scrap. The bottom six, as we see it as we go into April Fool's Day. Everton, 39 points. West Ham, 37. Above the dotted line and below it, Southampton, 36. Palace, 34. They're still in it. Ipswich, though, 23 points, Leicester 21. We may as well stop dis- stop counting them here because they're all but down. They collected one point between themselves in another disastrous month, unfortunately. Kevin Keegan's words at the start of the season, not entirely ringing true. Uh, meanwhile, miraculous form for West Ham as they've taken eight points from five games to dredge them out of the uh, the drop zone. Likewise, from Coventry, they've only lost in um, at Elland Road in the past two months. So Ron Atkinson has really dredged them out of something as well. Southampton, they've not won since Christmas. So they they are absolutely in the thick of it. They'll need some of that early Letizia form going forwards. Um, but I did say they've not they've not won. They've also only lost three, drawing nine of those games. <laughs> drawing nine of those games before we get on to the, the 3-1 win over Newcastle as we, as we see it. So as I as Arsenal and Chelsea... Arsenal in 40, 14th position with 40 points. Chelsea in 15th position with 40 points. They're still looking over their shoulder. They've they've still got to go to places and get something, in the words of Kevin Keegan. They're four points ahead of the drop zone going into April. That's how disastrous the season's been for Arsenal. For Chelsea, though, I mean, it's along similar lines. They've always had the potential, but they've just never done anything with it. And if you've listened to the previous episodes of the Barclays. So we go into April. Manchester United leads. Man United dropped more points, yet Blackburn scored the quickest goal of the Premier League era in 13 seconds. Um, so far, obviously, of course. Um, they beat Everton 2-0 to stretch that gap, stretching it further with a 1-0 win over QPR. Keep plugging away with them with them scrappy little wins. But um, they, they drop points at Leeds, but considering that Man United lost there and the had a late, very, very, very late equaliser for Blackburn that just piles the pressure on Man United a bit more. And if they felt it, they didn't show it at Leicester as they won out 4-0. But then again, let's be honest, it's Leicester. Blackburn, though, would... They would face Man City. Not necessarily a banana skin in this time. Or definitely not the team they are now, of course. But uh, Man City often didn't do a favour for Manchester United. This was one of the rare occasions in the early part of the uh, Premier League era that they did um, absolutely sodden would Park, pools of water just all over the place. They were handed a bit of a ridiculous penalty and that would be the difference really. Uh, Blackburn would return though with a win. Kevin Gallagher returning as well briefly from injury to score the winner. But this topsy-turvy month for Blackburn started with scrappy little wins that were, you know, the, the the victories of champions, as people often say, um, devolved into 
rebounding from losses to rebounding to wins. And the end of the month, we were 2-0 loss to struggle in West Ham. But as we move into the final few weeks of the season, Blackburn are on 86 points. Manchester United are on 78. With Well, Man United have got a game in hand, so that would put them five points behind with three games to go. Maybe not... The title race was on a similar sort of line at the same stage last season, you might remember if you listened to the podcast. So whether or not it'll go right down to the final day, it could go either way. One result at this stage often changes it, doesn't it? As we saw last time with Blackburn dropping points and ultimately out of the title race very harshly towards the last few weeks of the season last time. Meanwhile, Nottingham Forest, they've gone up to third. Finally, finally. They've got 70 points ahead of Liverpool on 67, albeit they do have two games in hand. We've got Newcastle on fifth in 67 and Leeds still clinging on to sixth. Shearer, as we go into May, he was pronounced the player of the year by PFA, and rightly so, let's be honest, um, banging in 30 goals again. So, I mean, well on his way to 100 Premier League goals, more on that next time as we look to the other end of the table let's go down from 12th to 22nd shall we so we've got man city they have got 47 points they've got four games to play they've just what they've won just two games since christmas at home to ipswich and sheffield wednesday sheffield wednesday they're on 47 points two in 13th place played 39 games and they've come out christmas good but they're on just one win in the past nine so to speak now chelsea 38 games, played 46 points further back there. They've pulled their noses up, though, to be fair, in the past month. Seven points from three games in wins over Aston Villa and QPR. Coventry also on 46 points. They had looked to have come good under Ron Atkinson, but that forms stalled a little bit. They've just won. They've won only once in April. Meanwhile, Aston Villa on 43, Everton on 43, and West Ham on 43. All their good starts, good forms have been derailed as of late, so they will be in absolutely in the thick of it. West Ham at Everton both played 37. Palace on the other end of the drop zone do have um, five games to play as well. Meanwhile, Aston Villa not in their hands as it's as we speak now, as they've got um, played a game left, played a game more, and they've got four games to go. Everton though will be buoyed by three home fixtures to play. West Ham on the other hand though. They are undefeated since a trip to St. James's Park, so that's seven games without a loss for them, but they've still got to play Liverpool and Manchester United. Manchester United game, of course, <laughs> coming on the final day of the season. Leicester and Ipswich prop up the league table. They're both on 24 points and officially down as we enter May. Meanwhile, out of nowhere, we've not spoken about them in terms of the bottom six at all. Norwich City, 39 games played, somehow 42 points. They've won one game in 1995 absolutely tanked plus they've got Liverpool they've got Leeds both fighting for European spots still and they've got Aston Villa they've got the hardest I mean West Ham have got Liverpool Man United to play yes but throw Aston Villa in there for Norwich um, another struggling side who need the points as well that's a very very difficult bit of form for Norwich really and they lose the next game too as we enter May losing 2-1 away at Leeds Tw 20 games they've had 10 points and with that they're officially relegated meanwhile that is obviously because of Aston Villa's point at home to Man City with Ugo Hekiog's first goal 
And the first goal that an Aston Villa player has scored since February. Meanwhile, the game that relegates Norwich is a 2-0 win for Villa against Liverpool. Dwight York's two headers in Villa Park's final game of the season, all but making the villains safe. Do people still call Aston Villa the villains? God knows. Anyway, West Ham, they look to uh, be stalling a little bit further, really, under Harry Redknapp, losing 1-0 at home to Crystal Palace. Palace, meanwhile, looking desperate as well. Chris Armstrong rebounding with a winner, rebounding from uh, what was a positive drugs test as well, so he's bounced back quite well to get what looked like three invaluable points for the Palace. Meanwhile, Coventry win 3-1 at Tottenham. Safety confirmed. Dion Dublin's goal is absolutely imperative to their survival. Meanwhile, Paul Rideout's goal confirms Everton's safety. And Paul Rideout won 0 in 1995. We may as well talk about it now. The FA Cup final. Heaping more misery on Manchester United as Everton confirm what is now their last trophy. Seemingly in their existence. Anyway... For more on Everton currently, check out our Patreon page. We've done a column on them on Monday. So there you go, if you're an Everton fan. 3.4 pence, that content. So there you go. Anyway, Palace's uptick in form, thanks to that 1-0 win in West Ham, absolutely obliterated. They lose 3-1 at home, away to Leeds, rather, and their final relegation spot almost confirmed. They've got a match with their, well, flatmates, essentially, Wimbledon. Wimbledon have secured their safety long ago and for some reason it's classed as technically um, a Palace away game this. Um, to celebrate their safety, there's an elephant on the pitch. <laughs> I, I, who knows? Who knows? Alan Smith, not that one and not that one either. Leaves Palace as manager. Fr Jerry Francis leaves Wednesday. Brian Horton um, leaves City. And um, Crystal Palace with the lack of win against Wimbledon are also down Another man confirming his exit, Jurgen Klinsmann, who lose, who moves to Bayern Munich. So with that, we have Crystal Palace, we have Norwich, we have Leicester, and we have Ipswich teams, four teams that we will not be discussing in the next episode of the Barclays, as they're all down for the 95-96 season. But let's move on to the title race. Still had some twists and turns in it just yet. Ron Atkinson, former Manchester United player, hosts... Manchester United as we enter May. Dion Dublin and Gordon Strachan in his final days as a footballer um, caused problems for United, but Andy Cole nips in with the winning goal. And those winners continue. David May bought from Blackburn, no less, scores the winning goal, the only goal of the game at home to Sheffield Wednesday. Meanwhile, you've got Blackburn defeating Newcastle in a huge, absolutely huge clash. Shearer heads one in on the line, celebrates like an absolute lunatic, but the plaudits should go to Tim Flowers, who puts in an absolute man-of-the-match performance and is the difference, ultimately. Between winning and losing, and thanks to Manchester United versus Southampton, he had to put in one of those performances. So with that win for Blackburn over Newcastle, United had to win to take it to the final day. They were five points behind with one game in hand. Southampton take the lead. Andy Cole equalises and still Manchester United, they're effectively giving the title to Blackburn if they don't win. Um, surprise, surprise, penalty for United at Old Trafford. <laughs> Dennis Irwin rattles one in past Dave Besant and United cling on. So going into the final day, famously, Manchester United travel to Upton Park, Blackburn travel to Anfield and for the first time 
in Premier League history, at the third time of asking, the title is settled on the final day, the f- well, the first time since 1990 that the English title, or 1989, sorry, that the title would be settled on the final day, of course. Michael Thomas, Anfield, we all know that. And we all know this too. Manchester United setting up in a 4-5-1 with Andy Cole up top on his own um, would be the difference really for United as they can only get a 1-1 draw. Brian McClare cancelling out Michael Hughes' opener for the Hammers. But Andy Cole profligate in front of goal, the difference really, because despite Alan Shearer's opening goal at Anfield, goals from John Barnes and a late goal from Jimmy Redknapp could have could have given Manchester United the league title. And what Liverpool fan would have wanted that? <laughs> I'm sure for once in their life, they would have taken the defeat there. And Manchester United lose the league title by two points. Blackburn Rovers are league champions for the first time since the 1920s. So we all know about Kenny Dalglish. We all know about the SAS. We all know about Tim Sherwood, Colin Hendry, etc. Tim Flowers as well. Perhaps the catalyst for Blackburn's title win might be seen in their assistant as well, Ray Harford. He managed Luton Town, of course, to a League Cup win in the 1980s. Sticking point for Kenny Dalglish in terms of taking the Blackburn Rovers job was Harford becoming his assistant. If he's not his assistant, Kenny Dalglish doesn't go to Ewood Park. So in this era, you've got the likes of Alex Ferguson as well, not taking every training session. Kenny Dalglish as well, not taking every training session. More of a holistic manager rather than a, a tracksuit track coach which we see more and more of nowadays and to be fair the majority of managers I would say now are tracksuit managers for the most part in the top flight anyway so Harford takes every training session he implements these repetitive patterns of playing training which for the most part now are well in the good good teams that we see play good football that's what they all do Blackburn were doing this under Ray Harford the assistant in 1995. This for me, I think, infers a lot of Alan Shearer and Chris Sutton's relationship on the pitch, scoring as many goals as they did. And this coaching, this repetitive patterns of attacking play, it means that their relationship didn't need to be great off it for them to blossom on the pitch. And I think I mentioned all those players there, Sutton, Shearer, Hendry, Sherwood, Lasso to an extent as well, Tim Flowers, but... Stuart Ripley, Jason Wilcox, traditional wingers in the sense of an English 4-4-2. They wouldn't score goals, but the amount of crossing that they would produce, I mean, it's similar to Newcastle as we move on further on into the 90s as well, when Shearer joins them as well. Les Ferdinand joins them as well. More on that next time. That was how Shearer and Sutton scored so many goals in this season and ultimately win the league. And considering that the conditions that Blackburn had to win this league title in the rudimentary training facilities, there was no changing rooms in their training ground. They had to drive to Ewood Park to change and then to the training ground. The training had to be stopped routinely because there was a graveyard nearby and if there was a funeral taking place, then Blackburn had to stop their training for, well, postpone it for the day or later on until the afternoon because a funeral was taking place. You can't be doing shooting drills and you your wayward shot hits a coffin, can you? That sort of vibe. So to consider that they'd done, they'd won the league title under these conditions, despite, yes, Jack Walker has had a lot of money and took them to it for the most part. Ray Harford in there, without him, I don't think they win it. Without 
the workers in Ripley and Wilcox, they don't do, of course, Sheeran Sutton have to take the plaudits as well at some stage, don't they? And Kenny Dalglish too. But all of it combined to knock Manchester United off the perch, so to speak. And in amongst it, we've got High Flyers, Nottingham Forest, 77 points they end up with on third. You've got Liverpool, Leeds, Newcastle rounding out the top six. Disappointing for Newcastle, but they would... They would bounce back, as we know. They would uh, tail off in the second half of the season, of course, understandably, because of the Andy Cole sale. Meanwhile, to round out the top half, we've got Tottenham, QPR, Wimbledon. Hugely great seasons for Wimbledon and Southampton as well, who round out the top 10. Chelsea and Arsenal recovered as well to uh, straddle the midpoint uh, of the table there. And Sheffield Wednesday, West Ham, Everton, Coventry, all got 50 points or more to confirm their safety. Meanwhile, Man City on 49, Villa on 48, just avoided the drop. And Palace returned straight back down. I think this is one of the cruelest uh, <laughs> cruelest relegations ever. Because the, the previous season, they would have survived by two points from Norwich on 43. Leicester and Ipswich would have gone down regardless. They were next to useless, unfortunately. But Palace, the changing rules to make four teams relegated. Of course, everyone knew the state of play before the season, but still, it's pretty galling for Palace fans who would have to wait for the 2013-14 season to survive a Premier League season you know they come up in the 97-8 season get relegated they come up in the 2003-4 season or 2004-5 season rather get relegated this is the most galling of the lot because had the rules not changed they'd still be up of course you could flip that for the team that finished second in the first division uh, being Reading, they would have been promoted automatically. Didn't happen, did it? So um, there we are with that one. Just the way it goes somehow. So Palace, Norwich, Leicester, Ipswich, we will be bidding goodbye to them. And we'll be saying hello to Middlesbrough and Bolton next time we cover the Barclays, which will be in a number of weeks. And for the 70th episode of the What If Football podcast, please feel free to join us next Wednesday, as always, on the sports social podcast network and we'll be of course on patreon five days a week as always monday to friday columns football articles football manager stuff mailbags full of what ifs and podcasts as always until then thank you very much city Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.